Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2006, though, that's when the expectations really got raised. They made the deal for Carlos Delgado to play first base, and the expectation was Beltron was going to have a bounce-back season. So, Here's controversy number one with Carlos Beltran. On opening day, April 5th, Carlos Beltran went 0 for 4. He heard some boos. I was in the building that day. It's true. There were boos. The next day, he had two hits. And then on April 6th, Carlos Beltran hit a home run. And Met fans wanted to say, thank you, Carlos. So we were giving him this raucous ovation, begging for a curtain call. Well, he didn't want to take it. Julio Franco at the time had to convince him to take the curtain call. Asked after the game whether part of the reason why he didn't grant the curtain call earlier was because of the reception he'd gotten from the fans the last couple of days. Beltran said, quote, I'll put it this way. I'm a friend not only when you're doing well, I'm a friend when you're not doing well. So that's where I am. The fans really support us this year. Last year, they supported us all season. Even though we didn't accomplish our goal, they were there for us. But I do believe they can be better. (laughs) That's not very Derek Jeter of him. I will say that much. I don't want to. I don't want to bring up anybody else. Uh, but I mean, from for a New York standpoint, that's not what you freaking say. And I for, I forgot about a lot of these quotes. But he really did. you you want to talk about things piling up here? He didn't want to come here. That got out. And then three days into the second season, we're asking for a little curtain call, and you're not up for it. You don't you don't really feel like doing it because. You're not. Are you really friends with us? That's not a good. That's not a good tone to set. No, no, no. I, I, I'm. I can't lie. I mean, we are now a year and a couple of games into Carlos's seven-year, one hundred nineteen million dollar deal, and here's the resume. I really wanted to go to the Yankees for nineteen million dollars less. I sucked in my first year. I got into this horrific collision with Mike Cameron. I did play hurt, but my career numbers were awful for this season. They were down with all my career numbers. 
And three days into the 2006 season, I'm lecturing the fans. They need to do better. Carlos Beltran. And by the way, I think he's learned all his lessons. I think if you talk to Carlos today about his time in New York, he'd admit the things and the mistakes he made and the things he learned. He effed up. No, there's no doubt about it. He effed up. He effed up for a few reasons. First of all, just give the curtain call. If you do that, there's no controversy. Then when you finally do it, like, I get what he's saying. I think we all understand what Carlos is saying. Hey, you booed me two days ago. Now you want to kiss my ass. Like, it's human nature to say, go F yourself. But we're fans. And you got to know how to play the game. And the way to play the game is, hey, they have a right to boo me. I sucked. I had a terrible first year. They should boo me. I didn't get a hit on opening day. They should boo me. And then when I hit, I hit a home run, cheer me. Instead, he lectures the fans. I believe they need to do better. And so I agree with you. Here we are a year into his tenure with the Mets, and he's just created enemies. And I think this is why guys like Joe Beningo, other Met fans, would not forgive him for a long time. To Carlos's credit, though, he now started to kick ass. The 2006 season was a very special year for Carlos Beltran. Hit a couple of walk-off home runs. I think the one against the Philadelphia Phillies in the 16th inning probably jumps out at most people. The home run off Ryan Madsen in that marathon game. And then he just had a great year. His 2006 season was statistically the best season of his career. Here are the numbers. 982 OPS, highest of his career. 41 home runs. Highest of his career at the time tied the Met record. Todd Hundley had the Met record for home runs in a season. Carlos Beltran ties it, and he drives in 116 runs, highest of his career. So I think three metrics that we sort of look at, OPS, home runs, RBIs, across the board. Carlos Beltran in 2006 had the best season of his career. He was clutch. The Mets were awesome. They ran away with the National League East. They were an elite-level team and actually finished fourth in the MVP voting, which is crazy because the Mets obviously have never had an MVP. Now, I look at the MVP race now, and I look back at these numbers, and Ryan Howard ended up winning the MVP. As you may recall, the Phillies did not make the playoffs, so it was not that we didn't penalize Ryan Howard for being on a bad team. But he had 58 home runs and drove in 149 RBIs. He had a stupid season. Albert Pujols had a great year. Lance Berkman had a great year. But if you go by war, which I know is flawed, and I know we rip it at the time, but that is a stat that a lot of baseball writers go by when voting on the MVP. Carlos Beltran finished second, only behind Albert Pujols, with a war of 8.2. And if you're not a big war guy, which I'm not, by the way, I know this. 8.2 is sick. Carlos Beltran shut us all up. There were no boos for Carlos Beltran during the 2006 regular season because he kicked ass. He was their best player. He was clutch. He was awesome. He was fantastic. And going into the postseason that year, I know what I thought, Pete. Wow. We got him in October? We watched them in October in 2004 with the Astros. Let's get this crap going. Oh, you nailed it. I mean, that was all we saw, all we heard of Carlos Beltran in the playoffs. That's what you want. You saw those numbers piled up in in Houston, and 
the fact that we were going to see it finally happen for the Mets, it was going to be amazing, and we're looking forward to it. So, yeah, 100%. So they sweep the Dodgers. Really no drama in this series. I think the number one highlight we probably remember from that divisional series was Paul LaDuca tagging two guys out at the plate for your not-so-traditional double play. But the Mets won the series three straight. Carlos was very quiet. Did not matter. Game one of the National League Championship Series, which got delayed by a day, game got rained out. The Mets are tied 0-0 in the sixth inning. Uh, Jared Weaver is pitching a hell of a game. And here's Carlos, or Jeff Weaver. It wasn't Jared Weaver. It was Jeff Weaver. I get those bastard Weavers confused. But Jeff Weaver is going mano e mano with John Maine. I think John Maine pitched game one of that NLCS. And Carlos Beltran hits a laser beam line drive, two-run home run in the bottom of the sixth inning, gives the Mets a 2-0 lead. That's it. The Mets win game one, 2-0. So before we get to the obvious, let me just point out that to get to a seventh game, there are a lot of things that get you there, wins, losses, blown games, all that. The New York Mets, let me make this very, very clear. The New York Mets won game one in part because Carlos Beltran was the only guy that drove in a run. It was a 0-0 game in the sixth. Beltran hits a two-run home run. The Mets win 2-0. Carlos Beltran, they blow game two. I think we remember that, the Scott Spezio game. They lose game three. They need to come back and win game four. Carlos Beltran hits two home runs in game four, and the Mets beat the Cardinals by a score of 12-5. to five. I think the first home run he hit was clutch. I think after that, it, it, the Mets were blowing them out. But the first home run he hit, the Mets were down. So here they are down two games to one. They're trailing early in game four. Beltran hit a big home run that I think made it two to one. Game five, the Mets lose. Tommy Glavin sucks. That game still bothers me. They obviously win game six, and then we get to game seven. And look, we could talk about curtain calls. We could talk about injuries. We could talk about collisions. We could even talk about offering the Yankees $19 million discount to go sign with them. This is the thing he can't get past. Bases loaded, two outs. Laduca just draws a walk. Beltron and the Mets are a stroke to right center field away from winning the National League pennant. And when Beltran came up for this at-bat, first of all, I I mean, I am numb sitting at Chase Stadium that night. I am physically ill. I'm thinking to myself, I don't even like sports. Like, why do I like sports? All this does is bring pain. And all I could picture was a line drive up the alley in right center field. I pictured it. And I also thought of something weird, very weird, but makes sense. Earlier that season, Carlos Beltran had a couple of walk-offs. I just brought one up to you against the Phillies. He had another walk-off. It was against the Cardinals, and it was a game-winning home run off former Met Jason Isringhausen. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Adam Wainwright was closing this game because Jason Isringhausen was hurt. That's why Wainwright was the closer. And as the at-bat was starting, I was thinking about the home run against Izzy. Like, God, if Izzy's there, you know, I feel really good. And we all know what happens. He strikes out, nasty curveball. And even to this day, all these years later, I think of Isringhausen, and I think of how different things could have been in that exact same situation. Now, Jason had a very nasty knuckle curve. Don't get me wrong. But that's the at-bat in Met history that you just want to recreate because one different result changes everything. It not only changes the result of the game and the result of that series and maybe the world champion, but I feel like it changes 07. And I feel like it changes 08. And maybe that's naive to think that, but that at bat, and we didn't know it at the time, really was the killer for this franchise. And it's one at bat. I'm not, you know, destroying Beltron here. You know, baseball is the kind of game where you fail 70% of the time and then you're really good. But that one failure, man, it is very tough to look past. No, it that basically crumbled the Mets for almost a decade. I mean, we didn't see the playoffs again until 2015. I mean, that's really, that symbolized the downfall of the New York Mets after that, that, that last out. And that's why I think so many people forget what Beltran did after that. Because like I said to you many times over, Beltran was brought in because what he could do in the playoffs, that was it. That's all we saw of Beltran in the playoffs of the New York Mets. So, Here's what sucks, and I'm not disputing that there aren't a lot of Met fans who agree with everything you just said. Carlos Beltran's Met career was not over. This was the second year of a seven-year contract, and certainly walking out of Shea Stadium that night, I didn't think the Met run was over. And in 2007, Carlos Beltran was really, really good again. Like, he didn't match necessarily the stats of 2006, but here are the numbers. In 2007, in which he played 144 games, he had the same average, 276. He had an 878 OPS. He hit 33 home runs, third highest in his career, and drove in 112 runs, second highest of his career. So Beltron had clearly showed you that 05 was the aberration. He was great in 06. He was great in 07. And when the New York Mets were collapsing in September of that year, when they blew the famous now seven-game lead with 17 to go in the month of September, Carlos Beltran hit 282 with an 882 OPS with eight home runs and 27 RBIs. There are a lot of people you can blame for the collapse. You really just can't blame Carlos Beltran. In 2008, Carlos Beltran had yet another really good, really good season for the New York Mets. Basically matched the previous year, except this time he played 161 games. 161. Nobody plays 161 games. He had an 876 OPS, pretty much identical to a year earlier. Hit 27 home runs and drove in 112 runs. But this one really sticks out at me, 2008, and the close of the 2008 season. The Mets didn't collapse in 08. They just didn't play their best baseball over the final few weeks. They were more like a 500 team over the last few weeks, and they lost the pennant race to the Philadelphia Phillies. But in August slash September, 
Carlos Beltran hit 322 with a 996 OPS and hit 12 home runs. He got the game-winning hit against the Chicago Cubs. That was a four-game series they played prior to the season-closing series against the Marlins, in which he came up with a huge two-out RBI single in extra innings to beat the Chicago Cubs. And then in game 162, after the Mets are down 2-0, Carlos Beltran hits a game-tying two-run home run. And I turned to my dad when he hit that home run and said, we're going to end up building a statue for this guy. Like, ultimately, that's what we're going to do. Now, the Mets lost the game, and so that home run that Beltron hit, which could have been amazing, could have been historic, could have been something we talked about all these years later, is now a footnote. And so Beltron, who had a very good 07, a very good 08, did not collapse, and especially in 08, he did the opposite. And the other thing Carlos did, a little bit of a controversial thing, is that in 2007, Jimmy Rollins became the enemy of us as Met fans when he made this offhanded comment, we're the team to beat the NL East. And it became a big thing. Jimmy started to get booed a lot at Met games. We didn't like him. The problem was Jimmy Rollins backed it up, and shockingly, the Philadelphia Phillies won the NL East. Beltron in spring training of 08, and this is where you could tell, this is a different guy now. The guy who's saying, ah, you know, the fans are mean to me. The guy who wanted to go to the Yankees comes out in spring training and says, you could tell Jimmy we're the team to beat. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Carlos is like feeling himself. He's like, yeah, you tell Jimmy we're the team to beat. We just traded for Johan Santana. You can't have with us. I'm adding a little bit to what he actually said. So Beltron had a little bit of a swagger to him. But 07 and 08 really bothered me, Pete, because the Mets collapsed in 07. The Mets lost a pennant race in 08. We all know how they did it. We don't have to relitigate that. But Carlos Beltran was not the reason. He wasn't even a small reason. Like, he was the opposite. He was the one pushing against the tide. And I think, unfortunately, no one's going to remember that. We're just going to remember they missed the playoffs and everybody sort of blamed the same. And, and part of it, and I, I remember him saying that about the Phillies that were the team to beat now, all that stuff too. But I also remember that during right around 08 into 09, the team really started to like pull apart. And I remember looking for that leading role. And while he was doing it with his bat and doing it on the field, he wasn't as vocal as I think we needed him to be as well. I think that was part of it. I know, I know we started 08 with those words, but towards the tail end of the season and even 09, like he really wasn't that that leader in the clubhouse. See, th- this, this is like an old debate Joe and I had. We used to scream about Beltron, and you just repeated something that I don't even know how true it is because Paul LaDuca was very critical that a lot of the Latino players would not talk to the media and would say or just, just wouldn't talk to the media. Whatever it was, whether it was a language barrier, and it annoyed LeDuc and it created this divide in the locker room. And what always bothered me about putting Beltron as the bad guy is Carlos Beltron talked to the media every day. Like Carlos Beltron, despite the missteps that he had early on, would stand in front of his locker every single day and talk to the media. Now, was he a rah-rah guy in the locker room? I don't know that. I don't think any of us know 
what actually was happening in that room. But as far as not taking the responsibility that some other players on that team didn't take, I always got the impression that Carlos Beltran did. Also, one quick memory from 07, 08, those two years kind of ring together. Uh, and this is one of my favorite Beltron memories, believe it or not. And let's see how many people remember this game. I'm sure you do, because this was an amazing game. It was a 17-inning game in Houston in 2007. This incredibly long game in the middle of July in which Carlos Beltron made one of the great clutch catches you'll ever see. He climbed up Tal's Hill in center, that hill they used to have at Minute Maid Park, and with his back to home with guys on base. So he doesn't make this catch games over. Mets lose in the 14th inning. Beltron makes this insane catch climbing up Tal's Hill to rob Luke Scott of a game-winning hit. But to make things better, that was the 14th inning. In the 17th inning, he came through with the game-winning hit. Game-winning RBI single. So Beltron gives you the incredible glove play, and then obviously the clutch hit to win it. Just the combination of those two things uh, I loved. And any time a caller to WFAN would say Beltron isn't clutch, I would always cite that game. Like, yeah, that wasn't clutch. 14th inning, back to home, amazing catch. Shut up.